We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Let's make Vision Zero a reality in D.C. Almost half of D.C.'s traffic fatalities come from impaired driving. These deaths are 100% preventable. Don't let impaired driving ruin your holiday. Always have a plan for a sober ride. Never drive impaired. D.C. police are arresting drunk and drugged drivers. Drive sober or get pulled over. A message from the District Department of Transportation and Metropolitan Police Department. Welcome to Rams Talk Radio. This is Derek C. Paula all by myself tonight. It is July 4th week. The holiday is here and we have very little in terms of Rams stuff to talk about. But we still have a tour around the league to finish up with. And we have two great interviews to get out to you today. They are John Chapman from the 49ers Rush Podcast and Ryan Dunleavy, the beat writer for the Giants with NewJersey.com and the Newark Star Ledger. So we have those out there. We're going to get those right to you. But before we do, we do want to go ahead and just say we're sorry. We are sorry all you Angels fans who lost Tyler Skaggs this week, it's um, heartbreaking. I'm an Angels fan myself, and it's been a rough couple of days. But for our crosstown neighbors, we do want to go ahead and send our condolences to the Angels organization, the entire fan base, and to many of you who are listeners who love the Angels, and mostly Dodger listeners, but some Angels listeners here as well. We do want to go ahead and let you know that our thoughts are with you, and I know the rest of the season will be incredibly difficult, but... Um, we're thinking about you. All right. So moving on. Getting started on today's show, we do want to go ahead and give a shout out to our sponsor for this episode. This is Jim Hawk. 
in his book, Hollywood's Team. We also want to remind you that we're available anywhere podcasts can be found, including Spotify, SoundCloud, and Spreaker. You can also find our podcast with Clutch Points. They feature an awesome app that puts loads of NBA and NFL information at your fingertips. Check them out at clutchpoints.com or download the app. Also, don't forget to subscribe and leave five-star reviews on iTunes. It really helps us out. And don't forget our other shows on the network, including Rams Uncensored, the Rated R podcast, and Butting Heads, and soon Norm Hightower's podcast will be coming out, which will focus solely on breaking down the film. All right, so without further ado, we do want to go ahead and get you out to John Chapman with his 49ers preview. It's a very interesting, well, it's an interesting story with the 49ers this year, and we better watch out. That defensive line especially is built to give the brand's problems. He'll preview it all for us. Here's John Chapman. All right, folks, we're here with John Chapman from the 49ers Rush Podcast. How you doing, John? Oh, man, it's a good day. It is post-draft season, which means we all get to take a little bit of a break. Uh, not a big break, but it's it's definitely a sigh of relief. There's no more draft profiles to, to fill out or any of that number. So it's it's been nice. It's been nice. Yeah, and for us, we do the whole tour in the league, get to, get to know everybody, what they think of their teams, and so on and so forth, and that is why you're here. So... Right off the bat, I do want to ask you, how do you evaluate the 2018 49ers, especially considering the Garoppolo injury? Man, it, you know, if we look at our season as a whole, it was just abysmal on two different counts. Number one, injuries. I understand every NFL team has injuries, and I don't want to be the one that's like, oh, yeah, but but whenever you lose your first and second quarterback, you know, your top three running backs, your top two wide receivers – it just gets rough, and you know, after a while, it's just like, how many undrafted free agents do we have out there at once? Um, so it, it, it was a rough year, but there are some things to build on besides the fact that we had the fewest turnovers since the merger. Um, the the offseason, we've addressed some of that, you know, with pass rushers and things. And I believe, man, the NFC West it is turning into the place to be. Uh, by far, one of the most exciting and captivating divisions in all of football. So I'm really excited for 2019. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think it's going to be a, a train wreck of fun in terms of this. we're going to beat each other up all year. Honestly. Yeah, it, and the, the physical style of football, that's a thing. Like if you look at you know what everybody did through the draft, it's, it's edge rushers <laughs> um, and wide receivers, oddly enough, but edge rushers and just big kind of physical football players, even at the wide receiver position. So uh, I think you guys were the only ones that didn't draft a wide receiver um, out of the whole division. I think everybody else got at least two, and the Cardinals got three, but you guys, you got to chill. You already got your wide receivers. You got four studs already. Well, actually, my partner in crime for Sunday nights, uh, that's Michael Stewart, a former former NFL safety, former Ram safety. He made the big argument the Rams still need another wide receiver. And we had that big debate on our, because he felt like we don't know we're going to get for Cooper Cup. And so we could use another deep threat to kind of help out underneath because especially in the Patriots game, when they, when these guys were really getting in there and rushing, we didn't, the Patriots weren't afraid vertically as much as we wanted them to be. So he made that argument. And, but... That's why I think they went and got Daryl Henderson instead. Was they they don't know everything that's going to happen. I think with Todd Gurley, so to have somebody who can move out of the backfield, do a lot of different things. That's what they would get him instead. So we'll see. I mean, that's kind of that was the argument. I mean, there wasn't a receiver; it was getting another skill position player. Hmm. Hey, and and that's the thing. I mean, with Daryl Henderson, he's a lot of fun, you know. And when you watch his 
film, the only thing that you constantly keep saying is this kid is elusive. Now, you know, he ran the 449, which is an elite, but it doesn't matter. When, whenever anybody makes contact with him or if he has space to create, he just creates. Nobody brings this guy down. And, and it was a very, I don't know, I don't want to say knee-jerk reaction. I think it was a great pick in the third round, but it, it was very reactive to, all right, how do we respond to you know getting shut out, which you guys have not experienced? Your offense was bananas for the past two years, ever since you got McVay over there. And it just seems like, man, you add in this player that can score at any time against a sound defense because it, that's what Belichick does. He plays beyond sound defense and kind of takes away what you're best at. But a guy like Daryl Henderson, he's going to be able to create versus that one-on-one situation that Belichick always leaves out there. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with you in the sense that this is a guy that's going to create and capitalize against those one-on-one matchups. He's a lot of fun. Well, I also look at with you guys, too. I mean, we're here watching what you're doing, and what we're realizing you're doing is you are doing things to beat the Rams. I mean, yep. that, you need to win your division first. So, what's the weakness of the Rams been last two years offensively? Well, if you can get a pass rush around those edges, you're going to hurt the Rams, and that's what the Lions did last year. You know, the Lions lost. The Bears did it. The Eagles did it to a strong degree, and the Patriots did it. So, I'm watching what you guys are doing out there, down there. You guys are just. There's rushers everywhere being put in that defensive front seven. And I'm thinking, okay, they need someone like a Henderson to cause more problems for that. It's going to be – it's weird. And, and, you know, you talk about winning your division, and obviously the best player in the division, you you guys, Aaron Donald, perhaps the NFL. I mean, the kid is just unbelievable. And I really felt the 49ers would address an interior offensive lineman, and they didn't. Uh, They didn't touch it. So um, this is something that's going to be interesting because we do not have a good right guard. We signed Mike Pearson to, you know, a $3 million deal, three years, $9 million, but relatively backup money. But it just seems like we're going to roll out the exact same five that we had last year. And I don't don't think the offensive line was our problem, the 49ers, but – I was one of those guys that was clamoring for a right guard in the second round. You know, we went wide receiver, and I love Debo Samuel. But, man, the whole time I'm thinking, like, I want to isolate and be able to stop Aaron Donald. I'm not sure anybody can do that, especially a rookie. But I really wanted Eric McCoy, who fell all the way to the Saints, one of my favorite picks of the entire draft, guard out of uh, Texas A&M. He was elite, and one of my favorite things about him was his best game was against Quinn and Williams, and so like I wanted that guy. I thought for sure it was going to happen, and when it didn't, I was a little upset. But it, you can say the 49ers turned their biggest weakness into a strength. You know, we had zero pass rush outside of DeForest Buckner last year. And so you go add D Ford, who had 16 sacks. And then you add Nick Bosa with the second overall pick. And you, you again, you turn something that was just awful into a huge strength. We have five first round picks on our defensive line. A lot of them have underperformed, but the raw talent is there. Is there. So. Just kind of backing up for a second, evaluate the 49ers offseason moves for us. Like, what were the 49ers' best and worst freedom decisions? Well, it's funny because, you know, there's, there's some rumors out there about Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch. And one of the biggest critiques of this front office, just, it doesn't really matter who's making those 
claims or who's making the personnel decisions. There are certain positions that Kyle Shanahan loves, and he stocks up. If you look at running back, we have four running backs under contract that we are paying a ridiculous amount of money to. And if you want to add the fullback, Kyle Juszczyk, who's making $5 million, we have five running backs. Um, so we load up at certain positions, and then we go draft a wide receiver in the third round, Jalen Hurd, who I absolutely love, who was the starting running back for Tennessee ahead of Alvin Kamara. He's a kind of one of those all-purpose Swiss Army Knife guys that can play wide receiver, tight end, slot, and running back. Mm-hmm. But Kyle Shanahan loves running backs, and we love defensive linemen and linebackers. So we have just stocked up those positions and completely neglected the secondary. You know, we brought in Jason Verrett, who was with the Los Angeles Chargers out of TCU. He was an elite corner. He was my number one corner whenever he came out, I believe it was 2015. But he's had three season-ending injuries, so very injury-prone. And, you know, you bring this guy in on a one-year prove-it deal. But I guarantee you this, if he is healthy, he will be our starting corner opposite Richard Sherman. So a very um, under-the-radar signing that has, you know, huge upside. But again, is this a guy that can... You know, stay healthy. He hasn't proved he can do that, but he did have one Pro Bowl season his rookie year, whenever he played. So, all in all, I wish we did address the secondary and the offensive line a little bit more, especially whenever you talk about winning your division. Um, more explicitly, I want to beat the Rams, you know. And so, what is it that the Rams do? They have the best defensive tackle or defensive player in the NFL. I don't believe we did anything to help stop that. And your wide receivers are very versatile and great in space. And I don't believe that we really did anything to uh, combat that because, you know, I I was at both of the games against the Rams this year. And uh, unfortunately, neither one of those were very competitive. Well, how do you write the 49ers draft? And and how do you feel about Nick Bosa? Especially, you know, some folks uh, are upset with his, you know, past social media comments. Yeah, you know, Richard Sherman came out just two days ago and, and spoke on that and basically said, look, if the kid can play football and he's getting sacks, nobody's really going to care. But he's been at Ohio State, and that's not exactly an all-white locker room. He can carry himself around African-Americans, not really worried about that. It's not like we're going to go up to him and ask him about his political views. So, And, you know, John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan both said, you know, we're more interested in how good of a teammate he is uh, besides his political views. And he talks about, you know, a lot of people docked Bosa – because he had his core muscle injury, you know, after three weeks into the season. And after he recovered, he decided to forego the entire year and focus on the draft. And so a lot of people were, quote unquote, saying that he quit on his team. Well, it's bowl week for Ohio State. He shows up to practice. The coaches stopped the practice, and every single coach and player during practice went up and spent five minutes just talking to Bosa. Like he and they, you know, they. He, he was there for the on the sidelines, and everybody kept going up to him. And you just can't find anybody that's been on a team say anything negative about him. So you, you've got to put all that into perspective. And at the end of the day, it's about how do you win. And I think Nick Bosa's that guy. He was the number one player on my board by far um, I from start to finish. And whenever you watch, you know, Ohio State's put out a lot of guys. I'm a huge film guy. And so if we go back to 2017 or 2018 draft and you start watching all these guys and it's just like, man, who the hell is this guy? Oh, yeah, that's Bosa. You, it doesn't matter if you're graining a corner, a safety, a linebacker. I could not keep my eyes off of this kid. And, you know, pro football focus, you know, I think they do a good job. I'm not 
totally sold on their system. There's some flaws. He had the highest rated season ever in 2017, um, his full year as a sophomore. So the guy is just so consistent and elite whenever it comes to his bend off the edge. So absolutely love that pick. We get two wide receivers in the second and third round and Debo Samuel and Jalen Hurd, who I mentioned. After that, I think our draft went to absolute garbage. You draft a wow. punter in the fourth round. I, I'm not <laughs> I'm not a fan of drafting a punter in the fourth round. That is problematic to say the least. And now the kid can play. He can kick with both feet. He runs a four six. Um He's an elite punter. That's great. I just don't have any positional value, especially when your secondary is as bad as it is. You should have fixed that. Um, But then after that, we got a couple more injury-prone players that kind of have high upside. And I just don't think that there's – outside of the first you know, three picks, I don't think that there's really anybody that's going to contribute on this roster. Maybe a practice squad guy, but there's a possibility only four players in the 49ers draft are going to make our initial 53-man roster, and I think that's very problematic, especially with our front office. Who I love Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch, but you have to say John Lynch has done very poorly – uh, drafting at least after his third draft. I, I just I don't see a lot of positives. There's a lot of busts there. There's some huge home runs, Kittle in the fifth round, things like that. But all in all, I, I would not give it a positive grade. I grade it as a B minus. So see, that's so weird because your rival, the Rams, are exceptionally good at finding mid round talent. Yep, and they have to because <laughs> they really have to for that matter. But. It's just I, I would have thought that um, considering where the four ends have been the last few years and the needs they have, I would have thought they would have been much better in the middle rounds. Yeah, it's it's very interesting because John Lynn, they don't do kind of they don't follow groupthink. You know, we have Seattle in the division that just whatever the national pundits or media or whoever they're talking about, they have their own board. And their board looks nothing like anybody else. You know, you get LJ Collier in the first round, the edge out of TCU. I had a third round grade on him. That's fine. Uh, he fits the prototype that they love in edge rushers. Then they go get a guy, Marcus Blair, um, you know, out of Utah safety. I didn't even have a fifth round grade on that kid. He's very undisciplined. They get him in the second round. This is just who they are. They they go after guys that fit this system perfectly and they don't really care what they've done in the past. They care about what they will be. And so you have these different philosophies and you step that down a little bit and you get John Lynch. They do not follow outside of the Nick Bosa pick and perhaps the Debo Samuel pick. They don't really follow, you know, Oh, we're going to address this need. It's not how they draft. Uh, They even said in their press conference, you know, we go into this draft and we're saying, we want cornerstones that are going to be here long term and fit exactly what we do. And so if it's a, you have a major need at safety, you know, both our safety spots are just absolutely r- abysmal and you just you don't address it at all through the draft even though you, you know, you had seven picks. So it's it's interesting, but after three years of it, it's like, all right, yeah, okay, this is what they keep doing. Um, they're going to get linebackers, they're going to get running backs, and they're going to get wide receivers. And after that, it's just kind of plug and fill. So the, the secondary still got some major, major work, major work outside of Richard Sherman. So what's the update on Jimmy Garoppolo? So Jimmy is, he's fine in the sense that he's going to be completely ready for training camp is all of it, the expectations. Um, you know, John Lynch, they're not allowed to be working with the players right now. 
but his office overlooks the practice field, and he says, you know, every day I can see Jarek and Jimmy down there working on stuff. And he looks great. He's running around just uh, just fine. So uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, again, if you look at whenever his injury took place, it was very early in the season. So you're usually talking about an eight- to nine-month recovery. That's not going to be an issue. Um, so uh, even if, you know, training camp, I wouldn't be surprised if the first two days he's held out of uh, team drills and just works personal, working on his footing and whatnot. But he's going to be a go. Uh, I don't think that there's any anticipation that he will not be there it's it's also it would be a surprise if he would if he didn't go all right here we go right now where are the four nairs rank in the nfc west on paper and how many wins do you see in the schedule right now i i think they're second i really really do um i i think los angeles you guys unfortunately <laughs> much to my dismay are definitely at the top spot but if you look at the 49ers and the Seahawks, who I think are fighting for that 2-3 spot, I would definitely give the edge to the 49ers. And again, you look at the Seattle Seahawks and what they did through their draft, they drafted a couple guys you know, on the offensive line, but they are still in competition for the absolute worst offensive line in all of football. Russell Wilson was the third most sacked quarterback last year, and that's going to continue. Um, they have zero issues. Uh, they just don't care about protection. Uh, you know, you look at them drafting Richard Penny, the worst pass blocking running back I've ever graded. Um, you know, in nine plus years of grading out the draft, he is dead last, and it's not even close. And it just seems to be what they want to do. So I'm giving the nod to the 49ers for that second spot. Um, our schedule gets rough late, <laughs> very, very rough. But the first half is easy. So, <clears throat> excuse me. I, I really do think that we can start out, you know, five and two, six and two. Um, we've got some pretty easy games. I know the NFL there are no easy easy games, but very winnable games. However, there's a strong chance we lose our last five games down the stretch. So, um, a safe bet, I would put the over under at eight and eight. But if the ball bounces our way a couple times and we avoid the injury plague like we did last year. Nine and seven is a strong possibility. Um, I don't think that we have a the offense and defensive match to get to ten wins, but a nine and seven, perhaps wild card berth. You know, if all things go our way, it's a possibility. But second in the NFC West is what I would put them at. Just to kind of play devil's advocate here, though, we mentioned the Seahawks. They we've seen Aaron Donald run rough shot in terms of pass rush against them, but their run blocking last year was outstanding. So, does that matter at all in your assessment? Um, yeah, their run blocking is good, but again, in the NFL, you know, all defenses I believe predicate themselves on two things: um, sacks and turnovers, and. You know, again, Pete Carroll wants to march to a different beat, and he wants to do everything differently. And yes, they want to run the ball like crazy, and they're going to continue doing that. But the problem is that only wins you scripted games. Whenever you are within seven to ten points, and you can continue running the the clock and all that, and we saw this in the playoffs. You know, if they get behind and you keep running the ball, you kind of take yourself out of that game. So yeah, the Seahawks, they're going to get to seven, eight, nine wins. They're going to be in that territory, possibly 10, but they're not one of those teams that can go on a run in the playoffs against good teams that are balanced because they have to play from the lead or they have to play close. And it just doesn't happen, especially in this with this offense and this, the divisions. I mean, Arizona, what they did is interesting. Um, you, you can knock them for trading a top 10 pick and getting pennies on the dollar and losing all that draft capital. That's fine. 
but they are drafting to exactly what they're wanting to do. They're, they're following your example, and they're just loading up on wide receivers, and they're going to be doing four and five wide with David Johnson split out too, and they're just going to air it out. So you have the Seattle Seahawks who are playing kind of Big Ten 1980s football, and now they're in a division with three other dynamic offenses that are going to be putting up points, even the Cardinals, who I think you know their, their talent level isn't there, but that scheme is designed to put up lots of yards and lots of points. I think they're going to do that. So you get a team down 14, um, like the Seahawks, I think it's going to be beyond problematic. Russell Wilson can, of course, throw it like crazy when he wants to, but you let those defensive ends tee up in an obvious pass situation against a poor offensive line like they have, it, bad things are going to happen. All right, man, where, where can folks find you? Um, the number one place to find me is on Twitter. Um, I do a lot of film, and so that's at JL underscore Chapman, JL, JL underscore C-H-A-P-M-A-N. And if you're into fantasy or dynasty, I also write for Eat Sleep Fantasy and Dynasty League Football, so I put up articles there quite a bit. But Twitter is definitely the best place. John, thanks so much for coming on the show. Dude, I, I'm guessing we'll be talking again come regular season time. I'm excited, man, and good luck to you guys. I hope you lose all of your games, but uh, I completely respect. Uh, that's the thing. Like division opponents, I want them to lose, but it's very easy. I live in Los Angeles. It's very easy to look at the Rams and say, "I really respect what they're doing, especially with their front office and head coach." But uh, yeah, good luck to you guys, and I hope we beat you this year at well, least twice, yeah. maybe three times. My mindset's a little bit different. <laughs> and, uh, I'll tell you what, I mean, I don't know how old you are, I'm 40, and I, I, I can, I'm old enough to remember the days when the 49ers-Rams rivalry was one of the best in the NFL, and I really miss it, if I'm honest. I'm not saying I want the 49ers to be a juggernaut again, because that means we're probably not, but I do miss that rivalry, and, and part of me, because of that, wants the 49ers to be pretty, pretty decent. You know, so I don't want to see the Niners lose every game. I want to see that team come out there, and that's what I want. I want to see the Farmers and the Rams ranked among the top rivalries in the game again. There's a there's a certain yes. kind of prestige to that. You know, the, honestly, I don't know why people still say the Cowboys and Redskins are still in the best run. No, it's not. No. And it hasn't been in a long time. How many playoffs win do they have between themselves in the past 20 years? You maybe know, five. Maybe, maybe five. And But so – I think those things matter. And there was a time when, you know, in the 70s it was the Rams. In the 80s it was the 49ers. And they were always nipping at each other's heels, especially in the 80s when the 49ers were dominating and the Rams were right behind them. And so I just look at this and go, I missed that. In the 90s when the 49ers just dominated the entire division. And what meant the world to us when, during the Rams' Super Bowl year was who was the team they beat to know they were for real. It was the Niners. That's yep. when we knew that team was for real. And so the Niners have always been the measuring stick. So when the Niners are down, I don't know who our measuring stick is anymore. I can yeah, say Seattle, but Seattle's just like, eh, Seattle. And that was probably the coming on scene of Sean McVay whenever you blew them out in Seattle. I was so happy that day. That made me so happy. Um, and I, I, that's the thing. I do not respect Seattle. So, like, I respect you guys, and I could be like, all right, way to go Rams. I do not like I want Seattle to go 0 and 16 all the time. Like just no respect. And also I, I forgot to bring this up. We are we played each other the 49ers and Rams 138 times. The 49ers are up two games. So it yeah. is 69 to 67 and three ties. So 
That's fun, man. I mean, it's one of the most evenly ro- evenly matched robberies in the NFL. And that's at one point the Flyers had a seventeen game winning streak and all that. So I just look at that and go, there are just so many special stories in there. As for the Seahawks, it's not personal to the Seahawks for me. I just hate the way Pete Carroll runs that team. Yep. Yep. Yep, I hate what he did with um, you know how he left the Trojans, and you know as soon as they got hit with sanctions or you know penalties, he was out the door. I I, I don't know, man. I don't know. I, well, I just not look a fan. at the way under him how his players have behaved. Look, I look at the way how he behaves in games, and it always seems like Pete Carroll always gets the one over on you, and it's never in a good way, never in a sportsmanlike yep. way, and that's the problem I have with the guy. Yep. So, all right, man. Thanks so much for coming on. I'll be talking to you in the regular season. Yes, sir. Right. Here, take care. All right. So many folks don't want to hear this. I, 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 I watched this entire four years offseason, and I'm seeing what they're, exactly what they're doing. They are building to beat the Rams. That is what they're doing. Their entire front seven is set to do just that to cause problems for Jared Goff. They are learning from the Detroit Lions, from the New Orleans Patriots, the Chicago Bears, their blueprint on what they did the Rams last season. That's exactly what they're focusing on. So watch out. That's what's happening. Meanwhile, we also have another interview to get to with concerning the Giants. But first, I do want to go ahead and, and talk about our sponsor, Jim Hawk. His book, Hollywood's Team, is an outstanding one if you like Rams history. It's Halloween Grit, Glamour, and the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. The book tells the story of the 1950s Rams, the lens of Jim's dad, John, who was an offensive lineman for the team from 1953 to 1957. Check out his son's story of his father and the team he played for in an era of glitz, glamour, and future Hall of Famers. Rebound players like Norm Van Brocklin, Elroy, Crazy Hurst, Tom Fears, and Les Richter in this story spent the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. You can find Hawk's book online at hallwasteam.com and on Twitter at hallwasteam. It's available both in hardback and electronic form at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Oh, and the paperback is out this September 6th. So if you like the paperback, it be a little cheaper. You got it. Folks, it's a great read. It's a good history book on the Rams. There are so few out there that cover the team. This one's a good one. And it's also a personal story. All proceeds, too, go to Homeboy Industries, which works to get people out of the gang life and back to being productive members of society. So it's worth it on so many levels. Check it out. It's always seen grit, glamour, and the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. It's well worth your time. Okay, so here we go. We'll get you out to talk with Ryan Dunleavy, the Giants beat reporter for NewJersey.com and the Newark Star-Ledger. Check it out. All right, folks, I'm here with Ryan Dunleavy, the Giants beat reporter for the Star-Ledger. Ryan, how you doing? Good, yeah. It's been a entertaining uh, offseason for the Giants. Yeah, there's a kind of a chuckle in my tone here because, I mean, I'm just thinking of how are we going to do this interview, the way the Giants uh, manage their offseason. There's a ton of questions there, and I just don't even know really what's the best way to begin. So I guess I'll, the way I'll do it is just ask you, how do you evaluate the 2018 Giants, and how much does Eli Manning really have left in them? The 2018 or 2019 Giants? The 2018. How do you go back and look at that in, uh, in Manning? I would say, look, the Giants were... They got off to a one and seven start. The offense was brutal. Uh, the offensive line was brutal. They couldn't move, couldn't sustain drives, and it just set them back to an immense degree. They wasted good defensive performances. Then in the second half of the season, the offense f- figured some things out. They weren't as good as. 
the Giants try to sell you that they were, uh, but they were better. And then the defense kind of crumbled. You know, around the same time they made trades: Snacks, Harrison, Eli Apple, Landon Collins got hurt, and uh, now none of those guys are on the team anymore. So uh, it was a season of two halves, I guess. Tale two halves: one awful and one mediocre. So how much does Eli Manning really have left in him? You asking me or you asking Dave Gettleman? <laughs> so well, I'm asking you. I mean, I guess we're getting our answer from Dave Gettleman. <laughs> Here's what I would say. I don't think they I don't think Eli Manning has much left. And I think that's been pretty clear in the last two years to anybody who's totally objective about it. The people who are not objective about it, the Giants, you know, organization, analysts who are Eli Manning's former teammates and friends. I think they want to cling to the success of the past. And look, I get it. Eli Manning is, I would get, if I had a Hall of Fame vote, he would get it. I think he was a tremendous quarterback for a long time. The best thing he did was win big games and big spots. You could count on him in the fourth quarter. I think those days are over. I just don't think the way today's NFL is played, you need a little bit of a mobile quarterback. You need a quarterback who can win you games. You need a quarterback who makes everybody around him better and that was Eli Manning in his prime that last one I mean he made it didn't he made I, I could give you the list of tight ends that have come through here that never did anything before or after and Eli made them into viable weapons I mean his receivers it seems like he had a new risk he must have gone through five or six different regimes of receivers not just receivers regimes i mean we're talking about he, this guy played with Paxo burris then victor cruz then uh you know steve smith uh, uh mario manningham all these guys at odell beckham and he outlasts them all uh but how much does he has, have left i the giants seem to think he has more left than i do i think that at this point he's nothing really more than a game manager and to pay him 23 million on the salary cap that's you know, not smart football. So you kind of touched on it a little bit, but how do you evaluate Manning's overall career? I mean, he's led his team to Super Bowl victories, two of them, but he never consistently put the numbers of prolific quarterbacks of his age, including his brother. Where do you rank him? Where do you put him? Uh, look, he's never been one of the top five quarterbacks of this era. I would certainly put him behind his brother, behind Rodgers, behind uh, Breeze, behind... Um, Brady behind uh, whoever else I'm missing. Um, he's certainly never been in that five. I think he's every bit as good as Ben Roethlisberger or Phillip Rivers, the two guys from his draft class. I'd put him in a, as a fringe Hall of Famer. Um, I, you can make a case no. You can make a case yes. I'd make the case yes. But look, there's a couple things about Eli Manning. He, he has eight playoff wins in six in 15 seasons and when you figure that out that is he won four playoff games in 2007 and he won four playoff games in 2011 and the other four 13 years of his career he has no playoff wins so that is a major indictment in terms of consistency like you see the Steelers make a deep run almost every year you see the Saints make a deep run almost every year and the Giants didn't do that. It was kind of all or nothing under Eli. Moving forward to now, just blunt question, and, and, and I'm sorry if it sounds almost offensive, but does Dave Gilman actually know what he's doing at this point? Look, I mean, it's the kind of the thing I, we've heard. You're not the first person to pose that question. I've heard that asked 
you know, I think Dan Graziano at ESPN said it's fair to ask. Look, I think he knows what he's doing, right? I mean, he's been a 40-year NFL personnel guy. He was the general manager of a Panthers team that went to the Super Bowl. You know, he was Ernie Accorsi's right-hand man with the Giants for 10 years. Like, th- this guy's got a great resume. Uh, does he know what he's doing? He, I think he knows what he's doing. I just think it. I just think every it's every move he makes is w- against the grain. Like literally everything he does is something most people, fans, writers, and co- his colleagues, his peers, his, the other NFL general managers would not do. So this is kind of a cookie cutter league. Oh, they all sound the same. They all you know kind of look the same. They all kind of you know do the same things. All these GMs. So I applaud him in a way for thinking outside the box. I just consistently disagree with every decision he's made. <laughs> if if Daniel Jones ends up being the next Eli Manning, if Odell Beckham, you know, ends up being a team cancer in Cleveland, it was certainly possible. If uh, you know, um, whatever else that he's done, you know, if they work out, then he looks smart. Look. He got ripped to shreds for in Carolina because he didn't want to extend uh, D'Angelo Williams. He didn't want to extend Steve Smith. Those guys blasted him. I think. I think if I'm not mistaken, he didn't want to ex- extend Thomas Davis, but they did. I think he didn't want to extend Greg Olson. All these guys who were Panthers fans' favorites, and none of them have done anything. Dave Gettleman got fired, and we don't know the full story there. I think, but. Dave Gettleman got fired, and part of the reason was because the players didn't like him. Well, every single decision Dave Gettleman made was right. It was just they were unpopular because it's like, oh, how could you How could you be done with Steve Smith? Well, Steve Smith was finished. So how could you be done with D'Angelo Williams? Well, D'Angelo Williams was finished. So I kind of thought when he came in here, Dave Gettleman was going to be this, like, you know, uh, you know, cowboy, my way or the highway kind of guy and make the hard decisions, be the guy to let Eli go. He hasn't done that, and then he signed Jonathan Stewart, which was a terrible signing uh, based on you know some emotions. He's kind of been the opposite of what I thought he would be here. I, he's been a little more sentimental than I expected him to be. Well, I mean, a couple of things. Steve Smith did have a couple of nice seasons in Baltimore, just to be fair. But I, this question really came from the conversation I had earlier this week in our interview with the Carolina Panthers guy, his name is Dennis Walsh from the Keep Pounding podcast, and he was all over Gettleman. So that's really kind of where the root of my question comes from. And, and then, but man, I'm watching the free agency moves too. I'm watching Landon Collins go and OBJ, which I'm going to right now. Okay, so I'm just hey, can you evaluate those moves, the Giants' free agency moves? What were their best and worst decisions? And what was her mindset in letting Collins go? And what was her mindset in the OBJ trade? So, uh, I mean, look, you, na- you named the decisions I think were the two worst. Col- I-, I vehemently disagree with letting Collins go. Um, I thought that was really foolish. I thought he was kind of the heart of the defense. Look, is he great against covering tight ends? No, he's not. But he was a terrific against the run. He was the heart and soul of the defense, a captain, beloved in the locker room. I think you could find, you know, if they had found a decent free safety in the four years that Landon was a strong safety, I don't think it would have been such a big deal that he struggled against the pass. But all of a sudden, it was a huge deal all of a sudden. Well, maybe, how about you fix free safety and stop worrying about Landon Collins? Um, Don't put Curtis Riley next to him. 
Um, so that was, uh, I thought that was a mistake that they should have at least franchise tagged him, given him one more year. Uh, there was very little risk, I thought, in doing that. Um, I don't think he would have showed up until September, but whatever, that happens all the time. So I think that he, that was a mistake. The OBJ trade, look, they didn't get enough for OBJ. That's my problem with this trade, especially if you believe, especially if you believe the reports that the 49ers would have given up more had Gettleman called them back and said, he's going to Cleveland. If you don't up your offer, we all play fantasy sports. We've all tried to be GM. We all know you play offers against you know play offers against each other dave didn't do that i have no problem with trading odell beckham he is a transcendent talent he's a tremendous football player but he's a he's a headache he is a the giants locker room loved him but the giants front office and coaches and ownership did not and those are the guys who pay the bills so I have no problem with trading Odell Beckham. I just thought you got to come away with more than Dexter Lawrence, O'Shane Zaminez, and Jabril Peppers. Even if those three guys are defensive starters, to me, you got to come away with more than that. So I, uh, I didn't think they got enough for him. Uh, and then their best moves, I would say, was trading Olivier Vernon for Kevin Zeitler. I thought was a good move. Uh, the Giants desperately need offensive line for as long as Eli Manning is going to be their quarterback. I thought Kevin Zeitler is one of the best pass-blocking guards in the NFL. Um, I thought that was a very good move. And then, you know, as far as free agency, they didn't really do much. I mean, they they signed Antoine Bethea, who's a veteran safety. They signed marcus golden who had 12 and a half sacks a couple years ago before he shredded his knee look if marcus golden can get back to that form that's one of the great signings in Mm -hmm. the nfl this offseason but i don't know that he can he was only had one season like that before his knee and then you know hasn't been that since but um they don't really do much in free agent i was surprised they didn't make a bigger play for a pass rusher um, but they're really uh, they loaded up on draft picks and rookies, and they're going to be a really young, inexperienced team this year. Just one, just to back up to Collins, just before we move on. I was just thinking, you know, with Collins and other complaints about him not being able to cover and pass. I'm just sitting there thinking, well, if the Giants did order to have a pass rush, then that would have been less of a problem too. Correct. So why not? Address, why did they not do anything over the last couple of years to really focus on that pass rush? Because it's been weak. Well, I mean, they thought they did. They signed. Olivier Vernon in 2016, uh, he never lived up to his contract. I mean, he led the team in sacks this past year, but it was seven and a half, not 15 or 18 or anything like he was getting paid to do. Um, and then they drafted Lorenzo Carter this past year. Um, he got four sacks as a rookie. Um, look, they they thought they did, but they certainly didn't address it to the level of giant standards. They maybe addressed it to an okay NFL standard, but the Giants are synonymous with pass rushers. LT, Strahan, Tuck, OC, um, Pierre Paul. That's what the Giants, they have. The Giants are supposed to have a uh, front four that just causes nightmares for the off, for the opposing quarterback, and they did not have that. And you're right. I think if, if you had that, then all of a sudden Landon Collins is – pass uh, coverage doesn't look so bad or Eli apples doesn't look so bad, but it was just a, a uh, mismanaged situation and, you know, changing front offices in there doesn't help. Right. Because you know, the 
previous one, the previous staff is the one who handed out all the huge contracts to Olivier Vernon, Janoris Jenkins, Snacks Harrison. Then you bring in, uh, you know, you have all those. You bring in Gettleman. He wants to clear out. You know, he wants to play a little differently. He doesn't want a $46 million nose tackle like Harrison, so he dumps him for a fifth-round pick. So it's just, you know, different philosophies. And, you know, they've, it, what's it led to is an incredible amount of dead salary cap money. So then also the draft. I mean, the Giants took criticism everywhere this year, but the draft as well. Do you believe Gettleman when he says that Daniel Jones is going to be picked by other teams before pick 17? Because I don't. And also, why Dexter Lawrence at 17? I believe that Dave Gettleman believes that. That's what I believe. I don't think Dave Gettleman is lying when he says that. I think Dave Gettleman is convinced that somebody would have, that somebody he won't name, but he thinks he knows, would have taken Daniel Jones before 17. Do I think he somebody would have done it? No. So what I do believe is that Dave Gettleman was the victim of a smokescreen or bad intel, either in his organization or outside his organization. I believe that he thinks he had to take him at six because he could have lost him. But I don't actually believe that. That's, you know, for lack of a better word, I think he got played. And then Dexter Lawrence at 17, I think, look, the Giants wanted a pass rusher. They're you know, if you could give them truth serum, they're disappointed they didn't come out of the first round with a pass rusher. Uh, I think if they had come out with Josh Allen at six and Daniel Jones at 17, I think they would have gotten an A for this draft. Um, they didn't. They came out with Jones and uh, Lawrence. I think they just missed out on Brian Burns, that Carolina pick at number 16. I think that would have been their pick at 17 had he been there. Um, there was only, if my memory serves me correctly, one more true edge pass rusher taken after 17 in the first round, Montez Sweat by the Redskins. Obviously, he has that heart um, issue that had to be checked out. And, you know, no, there's not a lot of clarity on what it was or how severe it really is. A lot of mm-hmm. conflicting reports. Could they have taken him at 17? Yes, that's probably who I would have taken, uh, especially as after the first 16 picks unfolded the way they did. Uh because I see Dexter Lawrence, and I think he snacks Harrison. And that's fine. He's a younger, unproven snacks Harrison. If he matures into snacks Harrison, a great run stopper, the number one run stopper in the NFL, a human, a huge guy who you have to scheme around. If, if he becomes that, which there's no saying he will. It could be a draft bust. But at the best, he snacks Harrison. All pro caliber, snacks Harrison. Well, then we already know Snacks Harrison gets you a fifth-round pick. So you just use the first-round pick for a guy who's going to be worth a fifth-round pick in six years. So I don't love that pick at all. I I just, if that was the case, just, I don't know, keep Snacks Harrison. I don't To me, it, does, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But seeing what was on the board, there wasn't really an edge rusher I would have been banging the table to take. So here we go. The end of it all. After all this movement and after all the contrary of the offseason, where do you now rank the Giants in the NFC East on paper? And the same thing for on paper. How many wins do you see in their schedule next year? Um, I would say they're definitely the worst team in the NFC East. Um, they might be the worst team in the NFL. They might be you know, them, the Cardinals, the Bucks, the Dolphins. Uh, I gave them five wins before the draft. 
and you know then they picked a guy at six who's not going to play. So I'm thinking between four and five wins, and that's with a favorable schedule. I mean, that's with one of the eight or nine softest schedules based on last season's opponent's winning percentage. I mean, they play the AFC East, which we all know is the Patriots, and uh, they play the they play the NFC North, which you know you don't know what the Packers are, you don't know what the Vikings are, but neither one made the playoffs. Um, the Bears, I mean, they made the playoffs, but again, they're up and down every year. Um, and then they play the last place teams, the Bucks and the 49ers. And while the 49ers should be better with Garoppolo, the Bucks certainly aren't anybody's, uh, you know, tough team. So they have an easy, easy-ish schedule. And I still think they're probably a four or five win team. All right, Ryan, can you know if people know where they can find you? Yeah, Twitter, at Rye Dunleavy, uh, R-Y-D-U-N. L E A V like victory Y and NJ.com slash Giants. No Daniel Jones questions? You know, I was, <laughs> you kind of answered it when you said 17. If, if, if they had gotten there, if he was there at 17, you'd be okay with it. Um, and, and personally, I have a little bit of bias there because I'm an Ohio State guy and I really haven't seen on the film on Haskins, Dwayne Haskins. I really thought he was a perfect fit for the Giants and it blew my mind they didn't take him. So uh, I was trying to avoid the bias thing, but since you brought it up. Here's what I would say about this. I don't have a problem with the Giants' process. I have a problem with their evaluation. If Daniel Jones is your number one quarterback, if he is the guy that you think is the best quarterback in this draft, maybe the best quarterback in the last two drafts, in your opinion, then you definitely take him at six. You cannot risk losing him at 17. They, whether whether you have good info, bad info, if he is your guy, if you are in love with him, take him at six. Absolutely. Trade up to three and get him. I have no problem with that. My problem is with the evaluation that I don't think he's very good. My problem is I thought Dwayne Haskins was better. I thought Drew Locke was better. I thought Kyler Murray was better. But... If you want to take him at six because you think he's great, though, that you're willing to stake your reputation on it, Dave, then go for it. That's I wouldn't be. Uh, as for Haskins, I'll say this. I don't think that Dwayne Haskins, well, f- from a talent standpoint, I thought he was the best quarterback. From I don't know that he's mobile enough for the Giants' offense, but, they again, they've had the least mobile quarterback in the NFL for 16 years, and they've done okay with him. So... I think it was probably a case of personality fit. That's kind of what I got the feeling of. And then Dwayne Haskins has done about six things since the NFL draft in the last two weeks that would have made the Giants absolutely scream. Asking Joe Theismann for his number, I can't even imagine the the explosion if he asked Phil Simms for his number. Um, Asking or starting his own marketing firm with his father before he played a NFL snap. Guarantee his father guaranteeing a Super Bowl. Um, the two or three other things are literally the least Giants things of all time. J- Daniel Jones is literally an Eli Manning clone in that he has literally uh, you know, a flatline personality. He's not too high, not too low, not going to get shaken up. Is perfect temperament for this market. Um, and I think the Giants fell in love with that. I think they fell in love with the idea that they could have another guy who they never have to worry about being on the back page of the tabloids or the front page of my paper for 
anything off field related. And you cannot say that about Dwayne Haskins. Well, I mean, I, again, I'm a guy who followed him and I, I know OSU football get back in my hand. I can tell you this, the little thing, the things like that I could see, but he, ne- he was never in trouble for anything. And the poise he showed in games, even where they got hammered. I mean, the guy can handle it. Yeah, I knew he could handle New York. The only concern I would have had for him is if the Giants drafted him and then put him in the game, put him in right away. Because he needs a year. He really needs a year. And the yeah, Reds well, that, better give him a year. Yeah, I don't know that the Giants are got, would have that situation because yeah. Eli's going to play this year. Eli will be starting, I think, until the Giants are officially eliminated and that maybe that'll start the clock. But I think well, that's what seen, I mean, though. Yeah, I I mean, saying, I'm saying I think – I don't think you would have had to worry about Haskins starting right away with the Giants because I don't think anybody would. I don't think Sam Darnold or Baker Mayfield or anybody would have been starting right away. The Giants are going to give Eli Manning 2019. All right, man. Thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Lots of good insight, and I hope to be talking to you next year. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much, Ryan. All right, so... Yeah, the Giants are a mess. I'm not sold on much of what they did early in the draft. I think it's going to be a bit of a train wreck for them. I like some of the things they did later in the draft. It's a shame they're not playing the Rams this year because I really like it when the Rams and Giants play. There are some, just some really classic games in their past history that I've really enjoyed. But this year's not the year for them. I'm, I'm wondering how long it's going to take to actually rebuild. I've been high in the Giants in the past. If you listened to our preview podcast before, not this year. They, uh, they have a long way to go. All right, so one more thing before we hit the road, though, is I uh, just want to remind you that our campaign for Dom Samara is now active. I will have it up on our website. It'll be up on Facebook, on our Twitter, and our Facebook group, all over our social media. So if you have the chance to help Dom out, we really appreciate you taking that time. We're just trying to save a man's life. It means the world to us, and I know that Rams Nation will come through. Again, that's Dom Samara. It's our GoFundMe fundraiser to try and help him raise the money to go get the treatment he needs at the University of Washington in Seattle. All right, moving on. It is time for us to go on this Independence Day holiday. If you are looking to partner with us for a sponsorship, Reach out to us at ramstalk1945gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 657-666-5453. We have a media kit that's ready to get out to you. It's all of our numbers and everything updated for you so you can see what our rates are. And also, if you like Angels Baseball, we have an Angels podcast on our network as well, Talking Halos. Check it out. It's It's got me. I'm not sure if that's a curse or a blessing, but hey, there you go. Also, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TalkRams and on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Rams Talk. You can also find we have a group where there's usually a pretty good amount of football conversation there in Rams Talk Room. You can find me on Twitter at DC Apollo. And don't forget us on iTunes, which is now Apple Music. I know, I know. Sister SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Android, all those places. We are there in iBeatRadio.com. They play our shows on Wednesdays and Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific time. So for the entire Rams Talk staff, this is Derek C. Apollo saying, this is Derek C. Apollo saying take it easy. Have a great holiday, and we'll see you Sunday night. We're out. Now there are more ways to be a team with Microsoft Teams. Bring everyone together in one space with a new virtual room. Collaborate live, drawing, sharing, and building ideas with everyone on the same page. 
And make sure more of your team is seen and heard with up to 49 people on screen at once. Learn more about all the newest Teams features at Microsoft.com slash Teams. That's Microsoft.com slash Teams. Don't let impaired driving ruin your holiday. Always have a plan for a sober ride. D.C. police are arresting drunk and drug drivers. Drive sober or get pulled over. Message from the District Department of Transportation and Metropolitan Police Department.